welcome to the Nightcraft podcast, where leading knitwear designer and author Erica Knight and I, Arabella, Erica's daughter and collaborator, chat about craft and creativity in the hand knitting industry and beyond. In this episode, and just in time for Wool Week, Erica and I talk to fourth generation British mill owner James Laxton as we unravel the processes involved in transforming a fleece to finished yarn. Hi James, it's great to see you. It's been quite a few weeks and um, it's really nice, isn't it, Bella, to have James, uh, of James Laxton. Yeah. Um, Laxton's Yarns. I know. Um, so James, you're our, you're our first guest on the Nightcraft podcast. So thank you very much for uh, Privileged. your time. <laughs> so yeah, we've known each other quite a long time now, been working, well, me working with you have been about seven years actually and I remember um sitting in a we sat in a restaurant in London and you kind of sat down and wanted to ask me you're like are you really sure that you want to come into a family business um and because uh, obviously you had experience of all that that entails when you start sitting down and reflecting on the on the past I would guess you know it was it wasn't a, a natural progression there were times when I was younger you would go into the factory and you'd go see uh, what was going on over there and it was never something that was uh, forced it was always a case of you know you just do what you feel is is right and you know ultimately you know I enjoyed when I did go in and I felt that you know there was a there was a good there was good opportunities there. I went to university and did textiles at university. Enjoyed that. Uh, one of the things I found difficult when I came out of university was to get any more experience outside yeah. within other businesses because of the name and the fact that they knew that probably what would happen is I would learn a little bit and then leave and go join the family business. Right. Mm. That's interesting. So I went straight into the family business uh, so- in '92. 92 mm. yeah so Laxton's um at the time you know already was had a a really strong name within the industry and Laxton's and Crawford indeed yeah wasn't it yeah the, the, there's been a few iterations yeah depressingly right. I, I um actually worked with your dad before you <laughs> which dates me but, <laughs> but um also I mean obviously you're a worsted spinner um now and a fine walls Jackson and Crawford were much more of a what we call in the business a fancy spinner back then what is a, a fancy spinner because it you you know it's quite rare now isn't it there's not so many fancy spinners no, no. I mean, you're right. In in Laxton Crawford's peak, they were the biggest fancy yarn spinner in Europe. Wow. Really? Wow. So the fancy yarns are basically uh, yarns that create, when they're in fabric, surface texture. So you would you will create loops along the length of the fibre or thick and thin places or other novel effects that when they are either knitted or woven into fabric you create a surface effect within that fabric rather than when you're using wool worsted yarn or woolen spun yarn you get a very flat surface it's quite interesting at the moment um that we're seeing a bit of a return to the fancy fibers a few more boucles and nips and gimpses and things that we call them but um and yeah, that's just a trend, a, isn't it? That's kind of the cyclical nature of fashion. Yeah, and possibly. 
Yeah, yeah and, and the fashion cycles do tend to follow. So that the hand-knitting market will, certain fancy arms will be in fashion in the hand-knitting market. That will may follow or be followed by the machine-knit market, which then will have a knock-on effect in the upholstery market. It all feeds into each other, doesn't it? And yeah, we've been talking a lot about, obviously, um, fashion at the moment and the textile industry as a whole has been called out about their manufacturing and fibres and the ethics of all of that. And um, in a way, it is looking to kind of handcraft industries and seeing how more artisanal practices and maybe more traditional practices are actually better for the environment and better socially mm. and everything and i know um obviously in the when i mean two years ago three years ago you built your new factory uh, yeah it'd be three years ago now um and then it was in two it was the december 2009 when we brought all our manufacturing back to the uk right so yeah that was huge because i think people have an impression um and knowing kind of laxton's and that heritage of it being from yorkshire and british but actually you know in the last hundred or so years that your your family business has been has survived so many changes but that has included it being moving away from britain so i came out out of uni uh, started in in 92 and at that point textiles in the uk was falling off a cliff yeah yeah um we went from 600 employees down to when i closed it there were uh, 50. wow uh, and that wasn't done obviously within one year but that was done over a period of uh, probably about eight years so very rapid decline yeah uh, in the in the market and in 2002 we had to close Laxton Crawford because it was too big to adapt to what effectively was was coming in for the UK textiles yeah. all the large ordered orders went overseas yeah, garment right. manufacturing went overseas um yarn followed manufacturing followed that and ultimately we got to the point where we just couldn't make a return and so sadly we had to close that and then in 2002 we started producing in Europe we were basically we went around Europe looking for factories that could produce what we wanted to produce right but in 2002 we had no customers left and we had to completely restructure uh, the product that we were um, going to produce and design so we designed the product in the UK we produced it in factories around mainland Europe, brought it back into the UK and then distributed it to our customers. At the start, worked very well. As years went by, more and more companies in Europe were facing what the UK had faced, where stiff competition from Eastern Europe, from further afield, and those companies started going out of business as well. We started to lose control. We started to lose control of deliveries. Uh, the service we were started to offer was was becoming a problem, and ultimately, I felt that we could do the job better ourselves. We had the knowledge, we had the experience. I think also having that flexibility of, um, you know, it's not everybody. It's not for the faint-hearted to uh, be now ma uh, making in Britain. 
is it? You know, I think people think it's always been there, but yeah. it just shows how it's about knowledge and and um, perseverance and is it not patience? You can't wait for your market to return. You've you got have to, to adapt. It. You've got to adapt. Yeah, I think it's probably you know resonates will resonate a lot now as um, we need to rise to different challenges. Yeah, as well. definitely. Whether it was as in latterly the, the pandemic and the Brexit coming along, we constantly have to adapt. And if if you don't, certainly as a manufacturer, you will get left behind. Yeah, and we we have to constantly adapt and innovate. Yeah, yeah I, th I think I think that's a real key word, innovation. I, I I believe that it's going to be creative vision that sees us through. You know, it's constantly innovating and look. It doesn't mean that it's like you know putting a finger up at the wind and just saying, but it's it's bringing together expertises and keep talking. Now you're on a greenfield site, and it's a state of the art, I, I think people don't picture new new mills of that caliber. Yeah, that you literally built from the ground up. Yeah. I mean, what a fantastic thing to be able to do to kind of continue that legacy of your great grandfather. Yeah, we were very fortunate in the fact that we had the opportunity to create the factory from, or create a new factory from, yeah. you know, a, a blank piece of paper. Took about four years yeah. in planning and building. And, you know, when we started off the exercise, the factory wasn't, was probably half full with the equipment that we already had. Yeah. Um, by the time we actually moved in, it was full. I think the biggest impact that we have with customers and visitors when they come to see us is they pull into the car park. And if they didn't see the name over the top of the building, they'd think they were in the wrong place. And when they come in, it's the cleanliness of the factory that also then hits them secondly. They they don't expect they expect it to be very dusty and dingy and and dark, and it's the exact opposite of that. I know you've recently as well become GOT certified, which is the Global Organic Textile Standard, um, and there must have been a lot of considerations in that as well. And um, how important is that to you? That kind of um, environmental um, impact of your manufacturing as well well it's very important and it becomes more so as time goes on you know our carbon footprint has drastically reduced over uh, the last eight years the biggest reduction really was actually when we moved our manufacturing back to the uk that was the yeah. single biggest step yeah. and then the next big step that we've had is when we've moved into the new factory so the old factory that we had um, in Geisley, it was still heated by a coal-fired boiler. Uh, it blew steam around. <laughs> that. That's brilliant. <laughs> Did you ever see that? <laughs> so, you know, the place was heated by steam. It was highly inefficient. Yeah. There were days when we couldn't start the machinery until nine o'clock in the morning. There were days when we came to eight o'clock at night, we had to stop them because it was just too cold. Yeah, the machines, the rubber just goes too hard. It then starts creating poor quality. So we didn't have control of the internal atmosphere of the factory. Now we've got, you know, it's a state-of-the-art facility. It's The humidity is maintained at a constant level all year round, which for natural fibres is perfect. 
because of you know their absorption of moisture we generate heat by the manufacturing we retain that heat we recirculate that heat and at the same time you know we re, we use less energy because of the humidification of the factory so and, and we're constantly looking at new ways of you know how can we re, use less electricity yeah obviously you're dealing with um, the fashion industry you're dealing with uh, furnishing companies you're dealing with quite um, a, a widespread uh, and obviously hand knitting um, manufacturers and now um, which we'll come to afterwards with um, you know to being direct to con consumer they're coming to you how important are these issues of how you run and um, how important do you see that to a future generations and well indeed um with the fiber um indeed you know um they're wanting you know of ov obviously they want to know where it's coming or are they wanting to know where things are coming from do you, do you feel that's important to them i think the traceability and transparency of products and where they're manufactured how they're manufactured is becoming more and more important. It's gaining more traction. And we, as a manufacturer, want to be completely transparent about all the products that we produce, where the fiber comes from, why it comes from there, because that's as important as where it comes from, because there has to be a reason behind why we're using that fiber. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's important to, to have a completely open door to any brand that wants to come to see us whichever market they're in yeah we open our doors and welcome them and you know if they find something that you know we could do better then we will obviously uh, improve and do better well yeah. I, that's why we enjoy working with you because we've seen the journey and um and uh, and i think even in the last five years things have improved changed and improved so much in terms of that and it is now a consumer you know demanding or questioning those things which i think is fantastic do you try to source um fibers as well locally is that you know, is that becoming increasingly important? I know, obviously, it's, you know, there's pros and cons and reasons, as you yeah. mentioned, of why yeah. you'd come and there's limitations. But is that something that becomes more important? Or We would, we source our fibre based on what our customer is going to use the product for. Yeah. And wherever we can, if there were two options, uh, that would give the same end result for our customer. One option was UK produced fiber uh, as opposed to from South America, for example, then we would use the uh, UK produced fiber because that's supporting the British farming community. It's supporting the infrastructure within the UK and, but only if it isn't detrimental to the, end product for our customer and you know the british fiber it's unique in the way it's sold it's sold by the only country in the world that sells by breed rather than by micron and i mean we're or saying hemp. british fiber here but we're talking about wool aren't we talking about wool yes um, so british wool is sold uniquely by breed yeah rather than by micron 
So this um, uh, Micron, can you uh, jargon busters? Uh, yeah. For yeah, those uninitiated in this, um, I, I, I so, probably am only like you, we get excited about the <laughs> Micron it is. But, yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, the Micron of the wool fibre is the thickness of an individual fibre. Just like a strand of hair. Mm -hmm. uh, certain um, people have thicker hair than others. The micron is the measurement of that, uh, the thickness of that fibre. So the lower the number, the finer the hair. So an 18 and a half micron. Oh, you see wool, that. You're talking my language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is significantly finer uh, than uh, 30 micron wool. And will the, the, one of the major differences that people will be aware of is the feel of the fabric produced by those two different types of uh, wool and the thickness of each wool. So the finer wool will feel a lot softer to, that, to the hand, irrespective of really what product it's gone into when you compare it on a light-for-light -light basis to a coarser micron, say a 30 micron fibre, that will be a lot harsher uh, to, to, to the touch. Mm. But there's very few breeds that really, um, I mean, we work, we work in hand knitting. You Obviously, you're working in a much wider um, spectrum of industry. Um, but really, I would say there's four or five for me of the British breeds that have their own characteristics that really are suitable within themselves or within blends that, are, that um, give us a, a good micron and, and a good hand feel that's lovely to work with flow through the hands and the needles. Yeah and I think with the choice of we, we pride ourselves in how we choose the right fibre for the right job mm. so and it's not just a case of we might choose one fibre we might actually choose two fibres both have different characteristics that will blend together and the end product will have a bit of both mm. and therefore we will be able to maximize the characteristics of the fibers in the end product mm. and that for us is, is is critical and the knowledge that we have that that we take to our, our customers and the design and development of product mean that we it does open it up to utilizing more british wool and we would we as a company probably put British wool into more different products and markets than any other company out there. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because of the knowledge of, the, of, of how we can get the most out of the characteristics of the particular breeds. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you mentioned Blueface Leicester. Blueface Leicester is, has, has a, is what I would class as the cashmere of British wool. Yeah. yeah. From a commercial point of view, and those wonderful, handsome sheep. I actually uh, always say it's sort of the George Clooney of sheep. Very handsome, <laughs> yeah. But. So that that you know, Blueface Leicester has its own characteristics. Whereas you you take another micro, another type of breed such as Massum, yeah, very very different fibre, yeah. But you put them together, and you'll you can get the best of both. Where you could get a product that. Is, is soft to handle, but is also robust in terms of the nature in which it wears. Yeah. 
And I know, I know you um, pride yourselves very much and part of your strap line is, um, you know, from literally from field, you know, everything's done within 50 miles. Um, and again, for just as for anybody listening to us, having, having a chat over a cup of tea this afternoon, um, really, um, you know, the uh, sort of A to Z of um, how from you selecting fibre to actually a finished product. Could you just very, very quickly or briefly tell us for the layperson how that comes to be from, you know, selecting the different a, processes. The process. yeah. Well, the, the first process we would do is sit down with the customer and try and understand what they're trying to achieve. And if that's in a, um, you know, hand-knitted product or if that's in a, a particular fabric for office furniture, we need to understand what it is they're trying to achieve. Are they wanting to, uh, how are they going to market that product? What performance is required out of the product? And what do they expect to achieve by uh, pulling the various bits of the jigsaw together? Once we have that information, we then will sit down, we'll look at it and we think, right, we'll select the fibre based on what we've understood. And like we said, if we can, we would purchase that out of the UK, generally at auction at Bradford. Then if the product is then That's coming the into the factory. Though, isn't it? The um, Bradford auction house is still, still, you know, the go-to place. I mean, that's presumably that's where your great-grandfather would have gone. Yes. Very different experience nowadays to <laughs> sure. uh, when my great-grandfather used to get the train into the centre of Bradford and they'd go to the Wool Exchange and it would be a proper, uh, a proper auction. And wow, it would be yeah. a day out. Yeah. They would go for the day. Uh, they'd all dress up and they'd, they'd go to the Bradford Exchange and there would be a, a, a proper auction as you, you, you would expect to see with an auctioneer and they'd all sit round in almost like an amphitheatre setting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Pretty much. Choice, yeah. Um, now it's a very different affair and it's all done by computer. And right, yeah. It, it, you know... Take some um, of the romance out of it, but <laughs> I, I, yes, I think it's probably taken most of the romance out of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah, every, you know, all British wool is generally auctioned. All British wool that goes through the wool board is auctioned at Bradford. Since the campaign for wool in particular, um, which obviously we've had Prince Charles he, as a patron for um, these past seven years or more, is it coming up? Is it the eighth year this year? Well, interestingly, it's 10. It's 10. Is it? <gasps> wow. What we're seeing then from rather than um, the hill farmers, you know, literally burning their fleece um, rather, you know, because they're going to get nothing to, for it from market. And we've seen the growth of these pockets of, um, you know, individual breeds being bred for, for their fleece. So that's still quite a challenge for that to come up if it's all got to go through Bradford, though. Um, it's a big challenge, yes, because there's not many people like yourselves, you know. It, no, no, and um, again, the majority, the lion's share is still really suitable for carpets. Yeah. yeah. So you've gone to your auction, logged in online, bought yes, your yes. <laughs> your lot. Um, yeah. Then what 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 exactly have you bought, and what are the next steps in making that into something that I know as a knitting yarn? 
So that that would be effectively what you've bought is the wool off the sheep's back. Yeah. Yeah. From the field. Once you've got the what we would call a greasy wool, mm. uh, that then has to be cleaned and well cleaned. And so it goes then into a process called scouring, mm-hmm. where there are large scouring bowls of which there could be, for example, six or seven in line, and each one would be the size of a small swimming pool. Wow. Uh, and it would go from one bath to the next, and it would be washed, then it would be cleaned, then it would be washed, then it would be cleaned, and gradually you take the thicker stuff, then it's the finer stuff that you take out, the lanolin, all of that it has to be removed uh, from the, the greasy wool before anything can be done with it. Otherwise, you wouldn't process it. Yeah. So does that lanolin that gets removed, can that be used? Does that get used for other products or that just becomes waste? But, yeah, the byproduct of, of cleaning of the wool, the lanolin, is, is sold and used into and recycled, if you want, into new product. That's great. Um, so once the wool's cleaned, it then will get dried and then it would go through a process of uh, carding and then combing and the combination of those two basically um, the end result is that the, the, the wool that goes in after being washed is all a tangled matted mess of fiber albeit clean <laughs> what what we've got to do is then get that fiber into par- all of all the fibers parallel so we've got to take all the knots out we've got to align all the fiber and get it into a position it can then be processed further by uh, um, a plant by cars. If it's going to the woolen spinning route, it generally will just get carded. If it's going to the worsted spinning route, you generally will need to comb it as well, which is but combing. Is like what combing. carded um, would mean? What would that mean? Um, well, the carding is a, a, a more robust process, um, a less refined process than combing. So your combing effectively is literally like you would comb your hair. You, you, you're getting the knots out, you're straightening your hair, uh, and basically that is ultimately what the combing does with the wool fibre. It, it takes all the knots out. Carding will take it out to a certain point but doesn't lay it parallel. Combing gets all the fibre parallel and ready to then further process onwards. And that's at, at, at the point at which you've got the woolen system, it goes off down the woolen system or it goes off down the worsted system. And that's at that point, then it, it's, there's the fork in the road. Yeah, I, I think people um, are quite intrigued as to the benefits because you've always been a worsted spinner. Um, yes. Why have you always, has that been historical or has that been a preference? Because obviously the f- very fine, I mean, I know you don't go that fine, but, you know, it's usually worsted um, fibres going into suitings and the fabrics. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, with the fancy yarn spinning that it, it, the company's passed, we also used to do a, a worsted spinning for uh, yarns that we would use in our fancy yarns. Oh, yeah. So my background has always been worsted yarn and fancy yarn spinning. And the biggest I suppose the biggest difference in very simplistic terms was if you if you looked at a yarn under a microscope that had been woolen spun, you would 
you would see the thread, but you would see all sorts of uh, fibers spiking out of that surface. So it would almost look like a um, not not as much as a porcupine, but you will get all sorts of spikes of fibers along the surface yeah. because none of the fiber lays parallel. It's just a, it, it's spun in its in its in, in a mess of entangled mess, which it's is why you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot more fibrous on the surface and, and a lot more prickly on the surface. Um, if you looked at a worsted spun yarn under a micros- microscope, you would see all the fibres would lay parallel. There would be, you'd see the twist in it and it would have a very sleek finished surface. And if you put this, exactly the same wool micron through a worsted spun root with the same twist levels as you put through the woolen spun root, the the single biggest difference would be the worsted spun fabric would be a lot cleaner um, and significantly softer right. than you would on the woolen spun root. And, you, and so generally the worsted spun will give a more sophisticated finish. Uh, the woolen spun is more rustic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of other differences but they're the main ones really yeah. and we know that james is far more sophisticated <laughs> you know as a rustic boy at heart yeah yeah you're only saying that because i'm at the other end of the, uh, the other end of the computer <laughs> yeah that's so true <laughs> i think a trend over the last five years has seen um a lot more hand knitting brands utilizing natural fibers We've definitely seen that as a trend, but we've also seen some of the upholstery uh, brands that we work with also wanting to use more natural fibres and move away from the polyesters and uh, uh, the blends. Fantastic. Uh, but the very nature of doing that, you, you're upping the price points of the finished product because, you know, wool's a natural fibre. It, it is significantly more expensive than synthetic alternatives. So that's a decision a lot of brands are making. I, I think, yeah, less is more. You know, uh, people want qualities, uh, you know, by Something a bit more. Longevity. Longevity, well. you know. Um, what other fibres are you, uh, other natural fibres are you uh, working with? I mean, obviously wool. Yeah, wool's the predominant fibre. And generally when we blend, we will use wool as the carrier, as the main fibre. But... We've, we use British alpaca, we use um, different alpacas from uh, Peru, baby alpaca for example, just different microns and finenesses. We use mohair, mm. which again has different microns that, that we utilise. Silk, we use um, that different types of silk, there's generally a couple of types of silk that we use. And really, the majority of it is different types of wool. So we're, you know, we we talk about innovation and we talk about constantly, you know, uh, uh, moving forward. That's not just a case of moving forward in terms of developing a new product. It's sometimes developing a new process or developing uh, more infrastructure or developing possibly different blends that would give different results in finished fabric. But also it's not just on the yarn um, innovation, but also 
the new Dye House has been yeah. a um, well, just up and running. Um, well, we've certainly had some new colours through there, and they've been pretty good. Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, still that... waiting on five more though, James. Just say that while we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's just been amazing to add to the coterie. So you you will literally be A to Z. Yes. Yeah. It, it puts us into a position where we've got control, literally from start to finish, yeah. and. But not only have we got control, colouring, the dyeing element of it is an art form. Uh, we've relied on a lot of the infrastructure in the UK in the past, and the infrastructure in the UK is still geared towards the carpet industry. Yeah. And they do sometimes struggle with the delicate nature of some of the products that we produce. And the, the drying of it is as critical as the dyeing right. because... You die, you over dry a wool yarn and you damage the fibre. That's it. Yeah. And we can't recover that damage. So, what we what we set out to do is set up uh, a new state of the art dyeing facility that is more specialist than carpet. And so we can hang dye now in small quantities, flexible quantities, but we dye in a very different way. So it's we use 60% less water than conventional dyeing. So yep. going back to your point earlier about the environment, we therefore use 60% less heat. Mm. The, the water and heat that we do use, we recycle and we reclaim the heat and reuse it. And the dye exhaustion on these machines is virtually 100% all the time. So the water that comes out of the dye vessels, you know, is still has to go into tr settling tanks, etc. But it's significantly better than um, some of the more traditional hank dyeing, where the water is suspended in water. The yarn is suspended in water for could be three to four hours. Yeah. Um, the drying that we've uh, uh, installed is controlled by humidity sensors within the machine, so we can set the 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 moisture content in the yarn that we want. So we'll never over dry product. That's fantastic. And that can change depending on blend, fiber. And so we've got foot and it's gentle drying. It's not, you know, it's not hot air drying through turbine jets that blows the yarns to bits. It's, it's the true, you know, specialist form of dry, drying. So that, that facility now is up and running. And we've, that will be the most state-of-the-art facility in the UK. Yeah, it'd be really exciting, I think, with the initiatives you've had over the years, the experience. And and then um, I like you and uh, probably more your father's generation have lived through that time. And uh, it's so lovely to be able to have, not lovely is the wrong word, but so necessary to have so much um, as we come out of Brexit too, everything on our doorstep and looking at our manufacturers so, so we've got everything there from the fiber, you know, through to the spinning, to the manufacturing, to the dyeing, and then the processing and also of, of, of garments. All that expertise as well. It's about kind totally. of um, maintaining and saving and um, preserving that expertise and allowing that to continue. So, do you? What What does the future look like for Laxons? I think the future will be constantly changing. And I think we just have to constantly change with it. I think 
would would uh, my children want to come into it? Definitely. I think it's too early. Definitely. <laughs> uh, I think they're too young. I, I think you know um, they certainly are exposed to it, and I think yeah. you know that would be entirely up to them. Uh, but we are, you know, constantly looking at new ways to to develop and move the business, whether it's into finished garments. You know, we've had a lot of support from our brands that we've been working with now that we're going through the, you know, direct to consumer. You know, in days gone by, people have said, well, we know you can't do that. And we've always been of that mind. But with collaboration and, and communication, you know, I think there is definitely a way forward for, for for everybody. And we're very transparent with how we operate. And so... I think that's the key, isn't it? And it's all about collaboration. That's, you know, yeah. that's got to be the way forward. And like you said, you know, things have changed so much and like technological in- innovations and just different ways of working. You know, as you said, everyone's, you know, not really going to be going back to offices and their um, hand knitting and craft has seen a huge upsurge during this global pandemic. And I think um, that's the thing, being ready to, be able to accept and react to those changes yeah but collaboration collaboration creativity they're the things but we need to ask you though james an important question do you actually knit (laughs) do you You may be surprised at the answer to that but yes i do yeah i am but not very often (laughs) (laughs) i know ollie does because i you know with your children you know not children now but you know the finger knitting there, absolutely. And I, I have every hope that, you know, we're coming into fifth and sixth generation. Um, yeah. But, you know, we, we've we enjoyed working with you and we enjoyed chatting again this afternoon. So Yeah, um, and I feel like, yeah, do, even though... Um, it's very optimistic. And I, yeah. I, I believe, you know, these opportunities we have and challenges, we need we need people like you in, the, in our industry. And um, we've got to keep talking and working together and mm. collaborating and keep the conversation going yeah 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 and and it's also important to have to have people like you guys you know in the industry wealth of experience and it does make our life a lot easier (laughs) well yeah (laughs) you might regret saying that (laughs) yeah well thank you very much indeed james laxton of um, laxton's and um just a joy Thank you so much for listening and thank you very much to James Laxton for being our first guest. Thanks as always to Kirsty and Keir for their huge patience and expertise. We wouldn't be able to produce this podcast without them. We hope that you'll join us next time when Erica and I will be discussing our knitting heroes from the dusty corners of our bookshelves to the cutting edge of high fashion. Mm-hmm.